Welcome, good morning to our Sunday gathering. Good morning. And as you might remember, as you might recall, back in January, I started our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. And my desire, my plan is for, for me to be able to cover at least the Beatitudes uh, by December. And honestly, I'm not sure if I'll finish by then, but I will surely try. But back in January, if you weren't here, don't worry. I will provide a review so that we're all up to speed as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, focusing on verse 5 specifically this morning. But back in January, we look in detail at Christ's sermon, which is co contained for us in its entirety in Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7. And if you, you would be kind enough to open up your Bibles to Matthew 5, I'll be reading out of the ESV, or you can just pull it up in your notes. They should be contained in your notes. Matthew 5, we will look at verses 1 through 4 to bring us all up to speed, and today we will focus on verse 5. Just to give you a little bit of uh, background, this section, or the, the Gospel of Matthew, was written by a tax collector, a Jew who was, his primary, uh, his primary audience were the Jews. And as he writes this narrative for us, he writes the following. He's speaking of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, this is Jesus again. He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Keep in mind, Matthew is one of them. That's one of his disciples. And he opened his mouth, this is Jesus, and he taught them, the multitude and his disciples, saying, look at the first word. It's right there. Can you say it with me? Blessed. blessed. And then he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So now before us, we have Christ's powerful opening statement. But specifically, we have his opening word. In the Greek is the word makarios, which could be translated as blessed, happy, fortunate, owe the many blessings, worthy of envy, or supremely blessed, just to give you other translations but at the beginning of a sermon we see that Christ Christ describes for us the way of blessedness how to be truly happy how to be highly favored and worthy of all envy and Jesus begins his declaration with an affirmation of who are the truly happy people who are the highly favored men and women who are the blessed bunch those that are worthy of envy, envy, and it's right there in the text for us. You find it in verse 3. Who are they? Who are this blessed group of people? And they are the poor in spirit. And I know you're asking yourself, if you weren't here in January, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, I'm glad you're asking all these questions this morning. Poor in spirit is a Jewish idiom, and it's describing one who is humble to his own capacity. One who is humble to his own capacity. One who displays humility in relationship to God. One who acknowledges their own limitation in spiritual matters. So in essence, what we dis discussed back in January is that happiness is recognizing spiritual bankruptcy. These are, this is directly from Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount. Now, there have been some that have suggested or try to argue that spiritual bankruptcy or spiritual poverty is when we are lacking displaying the fruit of the spirit and if you're following along in your notes galatians chapter 5 the apostle paul gives us a list of qualities that display the fruit of the spirit 
And if you follow along with me, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then Paul adds at the end that there is no such restrictions for you and I to fully display the fruit of the Spirit. There is no law. So as I see it clear in Scripture, being spiritually bankrupt is not lacking in love, it's not lacking in joy, it's not lacking in peace, it's not lacking in patience. But this is a Christian who is in process. Can I hear an amen? You're not convinced. This is probably you and me at this very moment struggling with self-control, struggling to be faithful, struggling to be kind. We're toughing it out through this sanctification process. You see, spiritual poverty is having a humble disposition towards God. A spiritually bankrupt person is a person who realizes that they're unable to please God on their own merits. Therefore, we as believers, when you and I are lacking the fruit of the Spirit, it's because we're on this sanctification process. We're struggling with sin. And lastly, we're probably trying to accomplish these, checking these off on our own strength, and we will ultimately fail. But I want you to listen to the following statements, which are truth driven statements <clears throat> so please follow along the holy spirit dwells in all believers can i hear an amen? amen all genuine believers are kingdom citizens amen, amen. the fruit of the spirit is found in kingdom citizens amen. all kingdom citizens possess spiritual bankruptcy and all who are spiritually bankrupt mourn over their sin so in essence i want you to consider this based on the statements that i just provided awareness of spiritual poverty and spiritual fruit are both empowered by God the Holy Spirit. And the encouragement for you and I this morning is the following, that as spiritually bankrupt men and women, as spiritual beggars, you and I are able to bear fruit by His doing and His doing alone. Can I hear an amen? And we discussed this at greater length back in September, and I trust you probably forgot. But in September, we went through the, through the Psalms, and Psalm 1 specifically we, uh, it's right there on your notes. Focusing on verse 3, King David wrote a song, a, the chief song of all songs, Israel's greatest hit, Psalm 1. Scholars have suggested that the remaining psalms, saw, uh, 148 or 149 psalms that are part of the Psalter, depending what Bible translation you have, they're but a commentary to Psalm 1. And David wrote 3,000 years ago the following. And he's giving to us a description of the righteous person and the wicked, the blessed and those that are not blessed. And he writes in verse 3, speaking of this righteous person, this blessed person, he is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its, and its leaf does not wither in all that he does. He prospered. And at the end of our Psalm 1 study, we came to the conclusion that this blessed man this righteous man is none other than Jesus Christ. But how are the righteous, by extension, described in this psalm? Look at it. They're like a tree. They're planted by streams of water. This is implying to us that this is a living tree. Notice the location where the tree is planted. It's, this requires careful consideration. It's near abundant, uh, abundant flow of water. This tree has deep roots, for it has to access that water. So in return, this tree is unwavering, is grounded, is immovable, is healthy, and most importantly, it produces timely and seasonal fruit, good fruit at that. So in Psalm 1, David reminds us all 
that the righteous are blessed. They're grounded. They're firm. They're healthy. They have plenty to access, uh, plenty of access to life-giving water. They produce good fruit, and they have no withering leaves. And the same is true with all kingdom citizens. Now, I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm talking of, of a direction in life. Now, I know you're asking there. You're sitting there asking yourself many questions. You're probably asking yourself at this very moment, wait a minute, Danny, how could happiness come from being bankrupt? Spiritual bankrupt and mourning. The truth is that our culture runs away from mourning. Can I hear an amen? You might not be convinced, but allow me to elaborate. Our culture runs as far as it can from mourning, drowning our sorrows with alcohol, dr uh, drugs, sex, parties, shopping, vacation, spending, work, chasing after careers, numbing your mind with sports, gaming, gambling, social media, and the list goes on and on and on. So please consider the following, that Christ is not saying that being sad, that being discouraged, or being depressed is a virtuous thing. But rather, what Christ is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount is that a blessed person is one who mourns. But what are they mourning over? They're mourning over their personal sin against a righteous and holy God. Look at verse 4 again. Blessed are those who mourn. Let me give you a little grammar lesson. This is a present and active verb, which means that the mourning is not a one-time sorrow for your sin, a one-time turning away of your sin, or a one a one time of rejecting, hating, or putting your sin to death, but as a way of life. Presently, actively hating your sin, rejecting your sin, repenting from your sin, resisting and fighting your sin, putting that sin to death. Now this begs the question for us this morning, is that a description of you? Are you presently and actively fighting against your sin? Truth is, if you're chasing after happiness, you won't find happiness unless your relationship with your sin with God has been addressed. True happiness is found being a spiritual bankrupt person, being a spiritual beggar that is stretching a, a weak and feeble hand towards the heaven asking for mercy. And I understand that it is completely upside down. So please allow me to expand on what Christ just told us on these first two Beatitudes. This is what he said. I'm going to summarize a bit. Christ has told us thus far that if you possess spiritual bankruptcy and you mourn over your personal sin, though you might be in great financial poverty, can I hear an amen? Though you might have no possessions, have no home, no job, poor health, no money, no food, you could truly be happy, you could truly be blessed and highly favored because your sins have been forgiven. But Christ doesn't end there. He continues to fully unpack true happiness for us. And he continues to paint a picture and to give a description of the character of kingdom citizens. Men and women who are truly blessed. Men and women who are truly happy. Men and women who are highly favored. That was just our review. And now we're going to look at our verse this morning. Matthew chapter 5 verse 5 says the following. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we humbly, uh, humbly come before you. Praying that the Spirit of God would reveal in us, reveal our hearts, how we're proud, we're self-sufficient. I pray that we would be convicted to see that we struggle with meekness and humility. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear from the Good Shepherd. This we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Here are the words again. Again, this is the official manifesto of the King of Kings, the Creator and Sustainer of all things, Jesus Christ. 
says the following, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So as we continue our slow journey, I want to ask you, what does it mean to be meek? What is meekness? Start thinking of some definitions. What is meekness? What does it mean to be meek? Well, let me help you out. Meekness is being gentle. Meekness is being mild. And some Bible translations had it, blessed are the humble. Now, as good Southern California residents, I trust that we all know the difference between a spicy hot sauce and a mild hot sauce. Amen? Amen. Or better yet, the difference between a mild pepper and a hot pepper. But in case you don't, allow me to give you some illustrations or some examples. You know, peppers are measured in Scoville units. And the Scoville scale is a measurement of, it measures the pungency of, of the chili pepper. Let me give you an example. Here before us, I have a bell pepper. Look at it. This bell pepper comes in at zero Scoville units. So it's relatively mild. This right here, I believe, is a poblano chili. This one comes in at 1,000 to about 1,500 Scoville units. So it starts picking up a bit. This one here is a jalapeno pepper. This one's at 2,500 to up to 10,000. Banana peppers, 5,000 to 10,000 in the Scoville unit. And one of the hottest is the Carolina Reaper. It has 1.4 to 2.2 million Scoville units. So let me give you some perspective. The Carolina Reaper, which I don't have, uh, is 200, uh, the jalapeno pepper is 200 times hotter. Rather, the uh, Carolina Reaper is 200 times hotter than this one here. Now, having this illustration before us, I believe it will help us understand what it means to be mild, what it means to be meek. Because Jesus said the following, Blessed are the mild, and that is the opposite of those that are extra spicy. Can I hear an amen? amen. <laughs> and I hope that by now you start recognizing that kingdom citizens are the polar opposite of the world. Can I hear an amen to that truth? And I trust that if you have not seen that yet, this beatitude will level the ground. We will all fall short and we will all recognize that we are unable to do it on our own. Jesus has told us already, happiness is recognizing your spiritual bankruptcy, Matthew 5, 3. Happiness is mourning over your personal sin, Matthew 5, 4. And now he continues and he says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. So point number one, if you're following along, if you want to write this down, happiness is being humble. I'll say that again. <clears throat> happiness is being humble. And I know this beatitude, this statement is upside down for the unregenerate mind. You see the world thinks in the following terms. They think in terms of pride. They think in terms of strength, power, influence, ability, self-assurance, confidence, aggression, dominance, and I'll stop there. And I want you to listen to the following maxims of our day, the philosophy that are being promoted left and right. Happy are those that have strength. Happy are those, happiness comes when you're physically fit and you're super strong. Happy are the powerful. Happy are those that are bold and speak their mind. Happy are those that are victorious, the champions. Happy are those that have an iron fist. Happy are those that are defiant and push boundaries. Happy are those that are valiant. Happiness is found when you're able to trust in yourself and yourself alone. Happy are the mighty. Now, who said these following statements? Well, I'm not going to give you his name because he's not relevant. But this was a man who hated God and hated the idea of God. This man came and went already. But he, his desire was to promote against, uh, amongst his followers this anti-God, anti-scripture sentiment. 
he took it a step further and he said, death to the weak and wealth to the strong. Now in human terms, this is an anti-God sentiment and it has found success for it has festered and grown like a cancer in our culture, in the ranks of education, academia, scholarship, amongst experts, professionals, influencers, entertainers, politicians, and sadly, yes, I'm even gonna go there, it even creeps into our personal lives. This is worldly, humanistic, anti-Christian, anti-God sentiment. Let me give you an example. Several weeks ago, rather in January, as a nation, we saw a, man, a mob of angry men and women unlawfully enter our nation's capital. Now, this was a failed attempt for these men and women to assert their will. You see, they were expressing their dissatisfaction, their disapproval with our government. And we witnessed that within that mob, there were some, not all, but there were some who were willing to violently assert their dominance at all costs. Now, the irony with all this is that this sentiment of rebellion, defiance, being extra spicy, is what our culture seeks to promote and encourage. You see, our culture promotes rebellion. It promotes that me-first attitude. It seeks to elevate and promote the individual and encourage, encourages that individual to stop at nothing. No one better get in your way. This is encouraged, is celebrated, is romanticized in our history books, entertainment, and sadly even in politics. Now in my pride, because I'm a proud man, I'm easily tempted to condemn that violent mob who entered the Capitol building unlawfully and fail to see that same exact sentiment in full display in my heart. You see, internally, in the quietness of my heart, in the seat of my emotions, I'm willing to harbor hate, anger, bitterness towards others. I'm quick to fester and, and, and allow to grow dissatisfaction and disapproval of my current situation. I'm quick to utilize harsh words to intimidate others. I'm tempted to engage in pointless arguments just to be right, seeking every opportunity to engage in quarreling. Again, I'm convicted to see how subtly this cultural norm and belief is in full display in my own personal life. That me first attitude, being extra, being extra spicy, thinking only about my wants, my desires, my pleasures, my comfort, my aspiration, my pride, my honor, rather than thinking about anyone else. Willing to pursue being right, excused of any guilt, justified with those that surround me. How are you doing with that, husbands? How are you doing with that, wives? But most importantly, how are you doing with that, kingdom citizens? You see, I'm talking about myself here. Left to my own moral compass, left to my own devices, there's absolutely no room for anyone else but me. There's no room for God because I have become my own God. Doing, saying, behaving as I see fit, unaccountable or not because I love myself too much. Some of us might be even tempted to think that just because we show up to church on time. Can I hear an amen? Show up to church on time, that's a good thing. But we might be tempted just because I show up to church on time and I serve in every single ministry that's available to mankind. And I work hard and, and I stay busy. I check off all the boxes. I'm good doing everything and particip participating in everything in every single ministry because we might be seeking the praise of others. But the reality is that we are arrogant, we're self-absorbed, 
We're not meek. Meek. We're not mild. We're not humble. And for me, this is me, Danny, the man Danny, I'm prompted to provide an excuse as to why I am the way that I am. I, I'm quick to justify my sins, my shortcomings, my, fa my failings, failings because I am a proud man. Anyone identify with me, you do not have to raise your hand because I know the truth of the, wick the wickedness of our hearts. And this is my humanistic reasoning. Remember, I'm, this, is my, this is the way I reason or justify the way that I am. You know, I'm just simply misunderstood. I'm a man. Too much testosterone. Can I hear an amen? I'm a competitor at heart. I have Hispanic heritage. There I go. South and Central American roots to be exact. I was born in the United States in a rough neighborhood surrounded with drugs, thugs, and violence. In addition, I have liberties in a constitution that protects me. I'm an American. I have the freedom of speech so I can say whatever I want. And I have the right to bear arms so I can back it up. And I can address my government. And also I forgot to mention that when I lashed out against my wife or my children it was because I was a little hungry. I was tired. I didn't sleep well that night. I was hangry. I didn't take my nap. Or I forgot to pack a snack. Or I did the unforgivable. Saints, you know what it is. You know where I'm going. I began my day without my cup of coffee. And that's why I lashed out on my coworker. You see, you're my witness based on my statements. I have every ingredient necessary to be extra spicy to no, to no fault of my own. You see, God made me this way. <clears throat> you see, rather than recognizing my fallen sinful heart and disposition, I'm quick to blame my circumstances. And if you're honest with yourself, so are you. There might be some of you sitting here thinking, Danny, you just don't understand. You don't know my husband, ladies. And I know every man is saying, Danny, you just don't know my wife. You don't know my boss, my neighbor. You don't know my history. You don't know what I've had to endure. The abuse, the trauma. But think about this for a moment. Sadly, every time I provide an excuse for my lack of meekness and humility, but I rather, much rather pursue to be extra spicy and to be heard, what we're doing is we're blaming God. Suddenly we're declaring that ultimately God is sovereign over all things and he made me like this and he sovereignly brought those people around my life so I would lash out at them. But we find that in Matthew 5, 5, Jesus said the following, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I'll read it again just in case we miss it. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Please notice that Christ did not give us a list of circumstances that would exempt you and I from displaying meekness. Look at it again. There's no qualifiers that say, if this happens, then you will not be meek. But rather, we see that Christ affirms something to be true. And I said this previously back in January, but in case you forgot, you need to remember that when Christ uttered these words, the Jews were longing for a Messiah. They were longing for a deliverer of the likes of King David, one who would deliver them from Rome, one who would lead an insurrection against an authoritarian Roman government, one who was skilled in the arts of war, a man who was armed to the teeth, 
a military genius. Now please imagine with me their disappointment and their disillusionment of that multitude and maybe even the disciples that were there when they heard the following words from Christ. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the mild. Blessed are those who do not assert themselves. Now this is completely upside down. You see, history books are replete with brave men and women who stopped at nothing to conquer armies, nations, to achieve power, to pursue liberty for any political or religious ideology. And we find the history books, uh, history does not look favorably to those who in human terms were weak, those who did not assert themselves, those who humbly turned the other cheek, those who lived quiet and sensible lives. Again, I like to stress the fact that kingdom citizens are the polar opposite. They think and they behave completely different than those who are citizens of the world. Now meekness builds on the previous two beatitudes, which is poverty of spirit and mourning over sin. Those two are internal realities and the same is true with meekness, but meekness takes it a step further. Meekness is having that same internal disposition as the other two, but it, it adds on the following. How you and I respond when we're criticized. How you and I respond when we're maligned. How you and I respond when we're slandered. Christians, saints, kingdom citizens, uh, FPC Menophytes. It's easy for us to condemn ourselves, right? It's easy for me to publicly admit my shortcomings, public, publicly admit my sins, but it is far different a different matter completely when others condemn you. It is different when others analyze, when others criticize, when others pry, when others misrepresent, slander, or investigate your life. Now I understand in a group this size, there might be some that have the gift of cyber-stalking or the gift of speculation. I'm just kidding, those are not spiritual gifts. But the truth is that we do not enjoy when others put a magnifying, a magnifying glass on our lives when we're being audited, when we're being inspected or examined, we become uncomfortable. When others ask us prying questions about our sins, about our preferences, about our finances, about our services, our church service or lack thereof, about our parenting or lack thereof, we become defensive. We give excuses. I know I'm quick to provide an excuse because I'm proud. You see, the proud cannot tolerate others' criticism. You know why? Because they have a high view of themselves. However, the humble, the blessed, the spiritual bankrupt person, that person that mourns over their personal sin against a holy and righteous God, is not concerned about other people's criticism because they have been justified or to borrow from our Colossian study, which by the way, you need to plug in Tuesday or Thursday nights. Borrowing from Colossians 1.12, we have been qualified. We have been made adequate. We have been made sufficient by God. So this person understands that God is a judge in the highest court in the universe and because of Christ we have been counted as righteous and it is because of this theological truth that such a person doesn't easily offend when they're criticized doesn't offend when they're judged doesn't offend when they're slandered they don't rise to be their own defense attorney if you will seeking to best represent themselves when they are wrong why because they're the greatest sinner that they know they acknowledge that their sin, their personal sin is a direct affront against a thrice holy God 
And they think they have a high view of God and a low view of self. And that is exactly where we all need to be. Can I hear an amen? amen? Now, with this statement, I am not saying, please listen carefully. I am not saying that as Christians, we never seek to make things right. That we never seek legal protections, legal exemptions, or we never appeal to others or even our governments or the courts as a mean to right some wrongs. We do so, but we don't place all our hope in people, human courts, human judiciary system, because they will all disappoint us. They will all fail us. I'm also not saying that we never enter in any discussion about spiritual matters, theology, doctrine, scripture, the gospel, theological differences. But if and when we do, kingdom citizens do it with a different heart attitude. First of all, they don't do it in the flesh, but they do it in the spirit. Amen. They don't do it in anger, but they do it with kindness. They're not exasperated at the matter, but they endure all evil. They don't seek a win, if you will, but they seek repentance, if repentance is needed. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to a young pastor. And in chapter 2, verse 23, he says the following. It's right there on your notes. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant, and this applies to all of us, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Correcting his opponent with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. There we have it, saints. Now going back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So if meekness is not having a readiness to assert, promote, or serve self, Therefore, by implication, meekness is having a readiness to serve and care for others. So point number two is happiness is putting others first. Happiness is putting others first. You see, the meek, the mild, the humble, the man and woman who is meek and mild is a person who no longer seeks to defend or protect themselves. They don't seek to serve themselves, but, if, but they have a disposition to serve others. Now, I understand that there are men you might know some of them and women that are generally, they're, they're generous, they're genuinely nice, they're peaceful, they're not confrontational by nature. So do they get a pass with this beatitude? Uh, as good Bible believers, we understand that the answer is no. Not at all. You see, meekness is not just being naturally nice, a little timid, a little shy, but these are all natural dispositions that do not require the Spirit of God to generate. Amen? Meekness, and also meekness is not having a spirit of compromise. Pursuing peace at any price. But more clearly defined as others have suggested, and I believe it's helpful for us. Listen to this. Meekness is strength and power under control. I'll say that again. Meekness is strength and power under control. Now allow me to provide an example that I believe might help us understand meekness a little, uh, a little more. Several weeks ago, I was grappling with my youngest daughter. I think some of you guys might know her. She's nine years old. She's tough. I was wrestling with her. And it was a great time of us creating memories, mainly me. And I trust even her. But as I was grappling with her, I thought of this beatitude. Blessed are the mild. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who restrain their strength and their power. 
And I believe that this beatitude came to mind. And those of you that teach the word of God know this to be true, that when you invest time and you dive into the text, you can solve all of life's issues with that particular passage, that particular verse. And as I was grappling with my daughter, I thought of this beatitude because in a sense I was displaying meekness. I was, I had my strength and my power under control. I restrained myself. I restrained my strength to better serve her. You see, at that moment, she was more important than I was. I was not seeking to submit her. I was not seeking my own win. That moment was specifically for her. I was caring for her. I was loving her. I was looking out for her. Now, I want you to think of this example that I just gave. But even this example, though helpful, I think it falls short. And I'll explain why. You see, because this example that I just gave only addresses an external restraint, behavior modification, if you will. But the Beatitudes are not describing just behavior modification. Uh, modification. They're not just restricting or displaying mere uh, outward manifestations. Meekness is not just simply controlling your power and your strength, but it's much more deeper than that. Genuine meekness is not simply restraining yourself, your power, but it's not even entertaining the thought of anger, violence, revenge, bitterness, and vengeance. How are you doing with that? Meekness is not having an internal defensive posture, having your guard up, protecting yourself, seeking your own self-interest when you're reviled or when you're sinned against, but having an internal disposition of humility. Having a heart that does not desire to receive justice, retribution, restitution when you are wronged or where you're sinned against. Saints, listen to the following. Religion is able to modify behavior. I'll say that again. You know this to be true. Religion is able to modify behavior. But on the contrast, it is only the gospel of Jesus Christ that is able to transform us, transform us from the inside out. It is God the Holy Spirit that provides us a new heart new desires, new affections, and a willingness for us to submit to Scripture. And it is God who supernaturally will enable us to accomplish things that are humanly impossible. Can I hear an amen? amen? Growing up in church, I knew an older saint who had a rough upbringing. He was orphaned at the age of three. He grew, uh, he grew up in the streets in Central America, at the age of four, his uncle gave him a machete. That's the pronoun, uh, correct pronunciation, by the way. Gave him a machete. And uh, so he learned how to use a machete. He worked in the plantain fields and banana fields all of his life. And later on in life, he was saved and he started attending church. But in his youth, he was a pugnacious brawler. He settled all his scores with his machete in his hand. Everybody knew him. He had a reputation of getting his, and if you wronged him, you would surely pay. However, when later on in life, as he started attending church, every time he was slandered or sinned against, he would say the following. Keep in mind, he was still in the sanctification process, so please give him, please give him a little bit of grace. He would tell me, man, that person's so lucky he caught me as a Christian. Now, this is not meekness, for in a statement, he was suggesting that if, if he was young, if he had energy, if he had youth, most importantly, if he had his machete in his hand, he would chop their head off. 
By the way, that was my grandfather. Meekness and humility is completely the opposite. I read this, I read this several years ago. I've said it before and I want to say it again. This someone wrote this as they were describing pride for us, and this is what it says. Listen carefully. Pride hates the word pride. Pride is unteachable. Pride never apologizes. Pride is never wrong. Pride is always right. Pride doesn't have problems. Pride never listens. Pride loves to brag. Pride only thinks of itself. Pride can't be a servant. Pride deserves the best. Pride hates to be embarrassed. Pride always sees pride in others. Pride tries to impress others. Pride cannot receive correction. Pride always wants the glory. Pride will always find someone else to do the work. And I like this one. Pride always says, I know. Saints, Christ told us that happy are those who don't seek their own, but those who are willing to serve and consider others. So please look at me in your notes. The greatest example of humility which we read today during our scripture reading, which is found in Philippians chapter 2. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian assembly. And he was giving them an example of humility. And this is what he wrote, Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you, among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I put that in bold and underlined in my notes. I'm not sure if it made it to your notes that way. I'll come back to that. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now this is a perfect example of humility. Let me break that down a bit so we all understand. You see the God-man who, uh, who has existed in eternity past. Jesus Christ condescended from possessing full glory, full splendor, full majesty and incessant worship. He emptied himself or he self-restrained the full use of his attributes to take on human form. So he injected himself in human history and he took on a human body. He became a man, but not any human, not royal blood, not noble blood, but he became a servant. So he's uh, coming even lower. He's descending even lower, but not any servant. Look at it right there. It's in the text. He was an obedient servant, but not just obedient. He was obedient to the point of death. And he's condescending even further, but not any death, but death on a cross, condescending even further because that was the most shameful, most painful death known to mankind. You see, Christ did not hold on to his right of being God in any sense of the way or the word. And I underline it in, the, in my notes. I don't know if it made it to your notes, but a thing to be grasped is a Greek word that describes to be taken by force to be taken by violence, to be retained forcibly. Some have even said, taken by robbery, strength, intimidation, duress, threats, manipulation, or fear. You see, Christ did not assert his right, his position of being the creator and sustainer of the universe. 
Christ did not dig his heels on the ground. He did not appeal to his ultimate right of being God. God did, Christ did not say, no way, no how, not me. How could they? Why are they asking this of me? But rather, he self-surrendered his right. He willingly gave his right for you and I. The most hateful, vile, sinful, unworthy, unlovable, undesirable bunch of sinners. Welcome to our Sunday gathering this morning. You see, during his illegal tribunal, Christ quietly trusted in his father in full meekness and humility, with full gentleness. He was tried unjustly while displaying meekness. And on that day, we saw the heart of the religious elite. We saw the hearts of the multitude who wanted a violent, aggressive, assertive man to be released from jail over Jesus Christ. If you know the history, it's recorded in the Gospels that the multitude chose Barabbas, for Barabbas was strong, he was mighty, he was defiant, he had an iron fist, he was lawless, he was feared, he was extra spicy, he was a Carolina Reaper. And they rejected Christ, the Prince of Peace, the humble one, the mild one, the meek one. And in your notes I also included, because I wanted to highlight the difference between meekness, humility, and pride. In Ezekiel 28, the prophet give, provides an injunction against the king of Tyre. And this serves as also a description of Satan. And I have Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 17 in your notes. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to jump to verse 16. And it says the following. Though he's addressing the king of Tyre, these are all truth of Satan as well. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst. And you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was what? Proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I expose you before kings to feast their eyes on you. And the prophet Isaiah gives a, a description of Satan. And, and in Isaiah 14, verse 12, he, he writes, How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you were cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. Now I want you to count with me all of the I wills. Count with me. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mountain of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You see how he's constantly promoting and elevating himself? And then what happens? But you were brought down to Sheol, the far reaches of the pit. You see the difference? Christ condescended. And we see Satan self-promote. We see the difference between humility and pride. We see the difference of holding others more significant than self, serving and caring for others, Versus valuing yourself, seeking your self-interest, self-promotion, self-gain, selfish attitude above everyone else, even God. Are you convicted? I know I am. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Not only does this beatitude pierce us all in the heart, but the encouraging thing is that this beatitude also has a promised blessing. is right there in the text. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Point number three, if you're still following along, the humble shall inherit the earth. 
the humble shall inherit the earth. And I love this because it's speaking of a future inheritance. And I trust that you know this to be true, that we truly save our blessings here and now. We have great treasures here and now. We have salvation. We have scripture. We have the spirit of God. We have the gospel. We have the church. We have church family. We have community. But there will come a day when the humble, the mild, will inherit a great possession. And some have uh, tried to make this a spiritual matter, saying that in a sense we are inheriting the land because we're mainly doing, uh, doing it through the realm where God uh, rules. But I believe that this future promise is making uh, is addressing a literal place. A literal place where humble men and women will call their own as possession by inheritance. You see, fallen man uses military and political approach to possess geographical territories momentarily. And some leaders uh, tout their control, their power, their dominance of people groups, but this trophy is a momentary trophy for it will eventually slip out of their weak grip. But this future promise that Christ is making to kingdom citizens is that there will be a literal place where those men who make serving others a priority, I'll say that again, those who make serving others a priority will receive a reward. They will receive an inheritance in that land because that land will legally be, be theirs. And they will do so. They will receive this land not yielding a sword, not having an army, not having military, military tanks, not having weapons of mass destruction, but they'll be, they'll be able to inherit this land fueled by the Holy Spirit, displaying servanthood, humility, meekness, being mild, and putting others first. Can I hear an amen? Are you encouraged? I am. So let me wrap this up. I trust that as we hear these truths contained in the Sermon on the Mount, we feel convicted. I feel maybe some of you feel overwhelmed, unable, falling short, utterly unable to accomplish any of these specifically displaying meekness. I know I am. Please remember that the Sermon on the Mount is not a checklist. Things you do to become a kingdom citizen. This is not an application for you to fill out. But rather by His grace, if you're truly His, He and He alone will supply the strength, the desire, the longing to obey, and the Beatitudes will be a description of your character. But there might be some in this group that are sitting there thinking, yeah, I think I got it. I'm meek. I'm humble. I'm gentle. If this is you, then you've missed the mark. You see, you're not poor in spirit. You're not a spiritual beggar. You have, you have yet to see the gravity of your sin. And you're a front and pride against a holy and righteous God. So I trust we're all convicted. And if you are, allow me to encourage you with this. There will be moments where you might display meekness, followed by moments where you display full pride and arrogance. But this is encouraging for us to read. The same author of this sermon made the following statement. Matthew eleven twenty nine: Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here are a few questions. If you're honestly examining your heart, here are a few questions that will help you determine whether you're meek or if you're not. Here you go. How do you respond when you're sinned against? How do you respond when you're criticized, slandered, or maligned? This one might get all of us. How do you respond when your motives are assumed? Husbands and wives, how do you respond when your motives are assumed? And lastly, I'll give you one more. 
Are you forcefully retaining your position, your rights, your wants, or are you surrendering them for others? And as I often do when I teach, I like leaving us, not with my words, but I want to leave you with the words of the King of Kings, who said the following, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we're humbled as we recognize a pride in our hearts. That me first attitude that is so pervasive in our lives. I pray that you would um, expose it, that we would trust in you, and the Spirit of God will empower us to pursue meekness that we would care for others, that we would value others as more important than ourselves, just like you valued us. You went to the cross for us. That we would endure patiently. That we would be long-suffering. That we would remember that there is happiness and blessedness when we are mild, when we are humble, when we are meek. This we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.